Chapter Eight of Zanoni by Edward Bulwer Lytton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. Wouldst thou soar heavenward on its joyous wing? Cast off the earthly burden of the real. High from this cramped and dungeoned being, spring into the realm of the ideal. As some injudicious master lowers and vitiates the taste of the student by fixing his attention to what he falsely calls the natural, but which, in reality, is the commonplace, and he understands not that beauty in art is created by what Raphael so well describes, namely the idea of beauty in the painter's own mind, and that in every art, whether its plastic expression be found in words or marble, colors or sounds, the servile imitation of nature is the work of journeymen and tyros so in conduct the man of the world vitiates and lowers the bold enthusiasm of loftier natures by the perpetual reduction of whatever is generous and trustful to all that is trite and coarse a great german poet has well defined the distinction between discretion and the larger wisdom in the last there is a certain rashness which the first disdains the purblind see but the receding shore not that to which the bold wave wafts them o'er yet in this logic of the prudent and the worldly there is often a reasoning unanswerable of its kind you must have a feeling a faith in whatever is self-sacrificing and divine whether in religion or art in glory or in love or common sense will reason you out of the sacrifice and a syllogism will debase the divine into an article in the market. Every true critic in art, from Aristotle and Pliny, to Winkleman and Vasari to Reynolds and Fuseli, has sought to instruct the painter that nature is not to be copied, but exalted, that the loftiest order of art, selecting only the loftiest combinations, is the perpetual struggle of humanity to approach the gods the great painter as the great author embodies all that is possible to man it is true but what is not common to mankind there is truth in hamlet in macbeth and his witches in desimona in othello in prospero and in caliban there is truth in the cartoons of raphael there is truth in apollo the antinous and the laocoon but you do not meet the originals of the world the cartoons of the marble in oxford street or st james's all these to return to raphael are the creatures of the idea in the artist's mind the idea is not inborn it has come from an intense study but that study has been the ideal that can be raised from the positive and the actual into grandeur and beauty the commonest model becomes full of exquisite suggestions to him who has formed this idea a venus of flesh and blood would be vulgarized by the imitation of him who is not when asked where he got his models guido summoned a common porter from his calling and drew from a mean original a head of surpassing beauty it resembled the porter but idealized the porter to the hero it was true but it was not real there are critics who will tell you that the boar of tenier is more true to nature than the porter of guido the commonplace public scarcely understand the idealizing principle even in art for high art is an acquired taste but to come to my comparison still less is the kindred principle comprehended in conduct and the advice of worldly prudence 
would as often deter from the risks of virtue as from the punishments of vice yet in conduct as in art there is an idea of the great and beautiful by which men should exalt the hackneyed and trite of life now glyndon felt the sober prudence of mervali's reasonings he recoiled from the probable picture placed before him in his devotion to the one master talent he possessed and the one master passion that rightly directed might purify his whole being as a strong wind purifies the air but though he could not bring himself to decide in the teeth of so rational a judgment neither could he resolve at once to abandon the pursuit of viola fearful of being influenced by zanoni's counsels and his own heart he had for the last two days shunned an interview with the young actress but after a night following his last conversation with zanoni and that we have just recorded with mervali a night colored by dreams so distinct as to seem prophetic dreams that appeared so to shape his future according to the hints of zanoni that he could have fancied zanoni himself had sent them from the house of the sleep to haunt his pillow he resolved once more to seek viola and though without definite or distinct object he yielded himself up to the impulse of his heart o oh, anxious doubt and chilling fear that grows by thinking she was seated outside her door the young actress the sea before her in that heavenly bay seemed to literally sleep in the arms of the shore while to the right not far off rose the dark and tangled crags to which the traveller of to-day is duly brought to gaze on the tomb of virgil or compare with the cavern of posilipo the archway of highgate hill there were a few fishermen loitering by the cliffs on which their nets were hung to dry and at a distance the sound of some rustic pipe more common at that day than this mingled now and then with the bells of the lazy mules broke the voluptuous silence the silence of declining noon on the shores of naples never till you have enjoyed it never till you have felt its enervating but delicious charm believe that you can comprehend all the meaning of the pleasure of doing nothing and when that luxury has been known when you have breathed the atmosphere of fairyland then you will no longer wonder why the heart ripens into fruit so sudden and so rich beneath the rosy skies and the glorious sunshine of the south the eyes of the actress were fixed on the broad blue deep beyond the unwonted negligence of her dress might be traced to the abstraction of her mind her beautiful hair was gathered up loosely and partially bandaged by a kerchief whose purple colour served to deepen the golden hue of her tresses a stray curl escaped and fell down the graceful neck a loose morning robe girded by a sash left a breeze that came ever and anon from the sea to die upon the bust half disclosed and the tiny slipper that cinderella might have worn seemed a world too wide for the tiny foot which it scarcely covered it might be the heat of the day that deepened the soft bloom of the cheeks and gave an unwonted languor to the large dark eyes in all the prompt of her stage attire in all the flush of excitement before the intoxicating lamps never had viola looked so lovely by the side of the actress and filling up the threshold stood gionetta with her arms thrust to the elbow in two huge pockets on either side of her gown but i assure you said the nurse in that sharp quick ear-splitting tone in which the old women of the south are more than a match for those of the north but i assure you my darling that there is not a finer cavalier in all naples nor a more beautiful than this iglesi 
and I am told that all these Iglesi are much richer than they seem, though they have no trees in their country, poor people, and instead of twenty-four they have only twelve hours to the day. Yet I hear that they shoe their horses with scooty, and since they cannot, poor heretics, turn grapes into wine, for they have no grapes, they turn gold into physic, and take a glass or two of pistoles whenever they are troubled with the colic. But you don't hear me, little pupil, of my eyes, you don't hear me. And these things are whispered of Zanoni, said Viola, half to herself, and unheeding Gionetta's eulogies on Glyndon and the English. Blessed Maria, do not talk of this terrible Zanoni. You may be sure that his beautiful face, like his yet more beautiful pistoles, is only witchcraft. I look at the money he gave me the other night, every quarter of an hour, to see whether or not it turned into pebbles. Do you then really believe, said Viola, with timid earnestness, that sorcery still exists? Believe? Do I believe in the blessed San Gennaro? Do you think he cured old Filippo the fisherman, when the doctor gave him up? Do you think he has managed himself to live at least these three hundred years? Do you think he fascinates every one to his bidding with a look, as vampires do? Ah, this is only witchcraft. It is like it. It must be, murmured Viola, turning very pale. Gionetta herself was scarcely more suspicious than the daughter of the musician, and her very innocence, chilled at the strangeness of virgin passion, might well ascribe to magic what hearts more experienced would have resolved to love. And then why has this great Prince Di been so terrified of him? Why has he ceased to persecute us? Why has he been so quiet and still? Is there no sorcery in all that? Think you, then, said Viola, with sweet inconsistency, that I owe that happiness of his safety to his protection? Oh, let me so believe. Be silent, Gionetta. Why have I only thee and my own terrors to consult? Oh, beautiful son, said the girl, pressed her hand to her heart with wild energy. Thou lightest every spot but this. Go, Gionetta, leave me alone, leave me. And indeed it is time I should leave you, for the polenta will be spoiled, and you will have eat nothing all day. If you do not eat, you will lose your beauty, my darling, and then nobody will care for you. Nobody cares for us when we grow ugly, I know that. And then you must, like old Gionetta, get some viola of your own to spoil. I'll go see to the polenta. Since I have known this man, said the girl half aloud, since his dark eyes have haunted me, I am no longer the same. I long to escape from myself, to glide with a sunbeam over the hilltops, to be something that is not of earth. Phantoms float before me at night, and a fluttering, like the wing of a bird, within my heart, seems as if the spirit were terrified and would break its cage. While murmuring these incoherent rhapsodies, a step that she did not hear approached the actress, and a light hand touched her arm. Viola! Bellissima! Viola! She turned and saw Glyndon. The sight of his fair young face calmed her at once. His presence gave her pleasure. Viola! said the Englishman, taking her hand and drawing her again to the bench from which she had risen, as he seated himself beside her. You shall hear me speak. You must know already that I love thee. It has not been pity or admiration alone that has led me ever and ever to thy dear side. Reasons there may have been, why I have not spoken, save by my eyes, before. But this day I know, not how it is I feel more sustained and settled courage to address thee. 
and learn the happiest or the worst i have rivals i know rivals who are more powerful than the poor artist are they also more favoured viola blushed faintly but her countenance was grave and distressed looking down and marking some hieroglyphical figures in the dust with the point of her slipper she said and a vain attempt to be gay signor whoever wastes his thoughts on an actress must submit to have rivals it is our unhappy destiny not to be sacred even to ourselves but you do not love this destiny glittering though it seem your heart is not in the vocation which your gifts adorn ah no said the actress her eyes filling with tears once i loved to be the priestess of song and music now i feel only that it is a miserable lot to be slave to a multitude fly then with me said the artist passionately quit for ever the calling that divides the heart i would have all my own share my fate now and for ever my pride my delight my ideal thou shalt inspire my canvas and my song thy beauty shall be made at once holy and renowned in the galleries of princes crowds shall gather around the effigy of a venus or a saint and a whisper shall break forth it is viola pisani ah viola i adore thee tell me that i do not worship in vain thou art good and fair said viola gazing on her lover as he pressed nearer to her and clasped her hands in his but what should i give thee in return love love only love a sister's love ah speak not with such cruel coldness it is all i have for thee listen to me signor when i look on your face when i hear your voice a certain serene and tranquil calm creeps over and lulls the thoughts oh how feverish oh how wild when thou art gone the day seems a shade more dark but the shadow soon flies i miss thee not i think not of thee no i love thee not and i will give myself only where i love but i would teach thee to love me fear it not nay such love as thou describest in our tranquil climates is love the innocence and youth of innocence said viola is it so perhaps she paused and added with an effort foreigner and wouldst thou wed the orphan ah thou at least art generous is it not the innocence thou wouldst destroy glyndon drew back conscience-stricken no it may not be she said rising but not conscious of the thoughts half of shame half of suspicion that passed through the mind of her lover leave me and forget me you do not understand you could not comprehend the nature of her whom you think to love from my childhood upward i have felt as if i were marked out for some strange and preternatural doom as if i were singled from my kind this feeling deepens within me day by day it is like the shadow of twilight spreading slowly and solemnly around my hour approaches a little while and it will be night as she spoke glyndon listened with visible emotion and perturbation viola he exclaimed as she ceased your words more than ever enchain me to you as you feel i feel i too have been ever haunted with a chill and unearthly foreboding amidst the crowds of men i have felt alone in all my pleasures my toils my pursuits a warning voice has murmured in my ear time has a dark mystery in store for thy manhood and when you spoke it was as the voice of my own soul viola gazed upon him in wonder and fear her countenance was as white as marble 
and those features, so divine in their symmetry, might have served the Greek with study for the Phaeonis, when from the mystic cavern and the bubbling spring she first hears the voice of the inspiring god. Gradually the rigor and tension of that wonderful face relaxed, the color returned, the pulse beat, the heart animated the frame. "'Tell me,' she said, turning partially aside, "'tell me you have seen, do you know a stranger in this city, one of whom wild stories are afloat?' "'You speak of Zanoni?' "'I have seen him.' I know him, and you? Ah, he too would be my rival. He too would bear thee from me. You err, said Viola, hastily and with deep sigh. He pleads for you. He informed me of your love. He besought me not to reject it. Strange being, incomprehensible enigma. Why did you name him? Why, ah, I would have asked whether, when you first saw him, the foreboding, the instinct of which you spoke, came on you more fearfully, more intelligibly than before, whether you felt at once repelled from him, yet attracted towards him, whether you felt, and the actress spoke with hurried animation, that with him was connected the secret of life? All this I felt, answered Glyndon, in a trembling voice, the first time I was in his presence, though all around me was gay, music, amidst lamp-lit trees, light conversed near, and heaven without a cloud above. My knees knocked together, my hair bristled, my blood curdled like ice. Since then he has divided my thoughts with thee. No more, no more, said Viola, in a stifled tone. There must be the hand of fate in this. I can speak to you no more now. Farewell. She sprung past him into the house and closed the door. Glyndon did not follow her nor, strange as it may seem, was he so inclined. The thought and recollection of that moonlit hour in the gardens, of the strange address of Zanoni, froze up all human passion. Viola herself, if not forgotten, shrunk back like a shadow into the recesses of his breast. He shivered as he stepped into the sunlight, and musingly retraced his steps into the more populous parts of that liveliest of Italian cities. End of chapter 8. Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Ogden, Utah, voiceover-solutions.com.